A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Monty Cars Slow. That from Joel Fitzpatrick on Twitter. Runner up, Wicked Wild and Wise says, Nailed it for Nikki. And Vincent van der Hook chips in with, No raining, plenty graining. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by PR man, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. It's been a really cool weekend with the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500 on uh, as well. It's been a great weekend for motorsport fans. And happy birthday to you as well, Chris. You've turned 22 this weekend. I have. I feel so old already. (laughs) And if Chris sounds a little bit different, it's because he's happy from celebrating. Now, Chris, I said I'd judge Monaco by Monaco standards and by Monaco standards it was it was fine it was fine to decent and I had a good time watching it lots going on and lots to talk about but but still very Monaco-y yeah I mean the the difficulty of overtaking was still very much apparent but it was quite a tense race I found you know seeing how it was all going to unfold with the strategies and for me it was a very enjoyable race but I guess that's because you could see two of each car in the pub We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Nick Numbers Alexander. Let's talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, Nick, normally we get you on for a Vettel disaster, but qualifying started off very much for a Leclerc disaster. How do you go from being the fastest car in Q3 to being out in Q1? So the fastest car in FP3. Sorry, FP3. Correct. Yes. Correct challenge. 10 points. Carry on. Yep. He, well, everyone was going around and around and around in the first qualifying session and the track was evolving and everyone was getting faster and people were putting in a lot of laps. And then Leclerc just 
stopped doing that and everyone else kept doing it and the track evolved and everyone got faster and he was out. For me, the golden rule of Monaco, especially in qualifying, is to be out at the end of the session because the track just ramps up so, so quickly. We see this on a lot of street courses or, or circuits that don't get used an awful lot. So we'll see it in a few weeks when we go to Canada, for example, another track that isn't used a lot. The cleanup and the way that the track just gains grip so, so quickly is that you can lose so much time. And Ferrari thought they were safe with Leclerc's time. And it was a massive, monumental misjudgment on their behalf. And the clerk questioned it, said, are we sure we're safe? I don't think we are. And the team just said, nope, we are absolutely fine. And that for me, has got to be one of the biggest mistakes you can make all season. So uh, how much potential do we think Leclerc had over that over the weekend then, Chris? I think uh, I, I don't necessarily think that their FP3 pace was going to be representative of how they were going to go in, in qualifying and in the race. I do think Vettel in qualifying would have gone a little bit quicker if he got his last run in because we saw him hitting the wall at uh, to back. Um, so I think that they would have been a little bit closer. Would they have beaten the Red Bulls? I'm I'm not entirely convinced of that. You know, certainly we still would have seen Mercedes up the front, but I think it would have been closer between, you know, Leclerc, Vettel and Verstappen for, for third place. See, Nick, I know we give you a bit of a shooing for being a, a Ferrari fan. And you did kind of say to me earlier that it didn't matter because the season's over already, which I was sad to hear, but the strategy calls aren't getting better. And this is something that uh, it's easy to say in hindsight from the sofa what you would do, but this one seemed fairly obvious. Is there something systemic, do you think, with the tactics or just a, a one-off? I think it would be not very intellectually honest to say that it was a one-off um, because having watched every race for the last several years, there's too much empirical evidence to the contrary. There, there's clearly something systemic going on here. I don't know what the problem is. We we always have the benefit of hindsight, but it really does seem like they missed some slam dunk strategy calls. It, it seemed very clear that it was going to be very close uh, for not making Q1. And so you just, you have to cover it off and they just, they don't do it. And they, they get burned on things like this all the time, it feels like. But what was the benefit? What what could they have gained by staying in? They they possibly could have saved some rubber, basically. I mean, maybe they didn't want to go out on another set of tires. Um, he's definitely gone too slow in his first run in Q2 this season and had to go out again and use another pair of tires. But I just I don't think uh, saving tires is the most important strategy in qualifying at Monaco, uh, as evidenced by the fact that Lewis's tires were beyond done, and it just never makes sense to come in for new ones. So I don't know which tires they were trying to save for which scenario, unless they thought there was going to be several safety cars. Just just bad. It's just bad. It's just, it's just bad. Uh, there's Nick summing up Ferrari season, I think, at the moment. Hey, who knows? Things could improve once we get out, out of the European season and, and into the summer. You, you never know. Let's be, let's be optimistic. But, but, but why? <laughs> All right. Look, let's, um, let's go towards the front of the grid then. Lewis Hamilton, after the first run in Q3, Chris, I was listening to the BBC commentary. And again, we had the narrative of, Bottas is a new man. Bottas is on fire. He's really bringing it to Lewis Hamilton. Obviously, then Lewis Hamilton managed to string a lap together. But, but what I'm thinking is, despite the statistics 
of Lewis Hamilton with his 90-odd poles. I... This is going to hurt. There's going to be emails. Spannersready at gmail.com. I don't actually think Hamilton is the best qualifier in the sport because he he will go out and go for the absolute fastest lap every time. And the amount of time he then fluffs his first attempt in Q3 and puts himself under pressure for the second run in Q3, he's done it time and time again. And he's he's lost out to teammates overall in qualifying battles. Doesn't mean he's not fast, just that he he has an approach to qualifying that isn't the best. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jensen Button said that you know Lewis was quicker than him in qualifying, full stop, and that in qualifying he was one of the hardest teammates he ever had. But I think we've gone over so many different eras where uh, you know the hybrid uh, era changed that and the way Pirelli have changed their tyres has changed that. And Rosberg out-qualified him in 2014, the year Lewis won the championship. So there is that to say. I do think there is a truth in Bottas's improvement for this season. I mean, compared to last year, he, he was not near Lewis. And I would love to have seen, you know, Bottas properly get that last run in Q3 um, in uh, and not had traffic to see where he would have ended up because it was a very slim margin that the two were split by. But I don't think it's any discredit to say that, you know, Valtteri over one lap this season in particular has been quicker than Lewis. We've seen the the absolute greats get out qualified by their teammates. It's the races. Yeah. Where they make the difference. Oh, I mean, even if you look at Lewis versus Rosberg in that season, he was being out-qualified in quali. When the races came, he was by far and away winning on race pace. And this was before every race was a one-stop. So essentially, the first driver of the Mercedes team would go on to the, the softer compound. And then they, the Mercs would split Hamilton and Rosberg up as much as they could, like in Bahrain. And then they would switch tyres come back and Lewis would inevitably uh, be ahead and that's what was happening 2014 and I think especially 2015 however even if we say Bottas is a great qualifier but not quite as good as Hamilton it's, it's around the same gap really I think between Bottas to Hamilton as Rosberg to Hamilton however if Bottas is going to consistently do close to his limit and Hamilton's gonna drop the ball every now and then he is making things unnecessarily hard for himself yeah, I think the difference this year in particular is how difficult it is to get the tire in its right window. We know that you know uh, Pirelli brought the th- thinner tread compound to, to every race this season. That we saw it three races last season, and how that's really brought up the optimal working range that's really worked in Mercedes' favour. But it is still quite hard to get it in that working window. And Valtteri's just had a, a good preparation of the tires over. Um, for, for one lap. For Lewis, maybe it works better over a stint, but you'd rather be quicker in the race than in qualifying. And yeah, maybe it is making it a little bit harder you know, for himself, but his starts this season have made the key difference, uh, I think. Good. Let's move on to the race. Chris, Trumpets isn't here. Obviously, we know the rule in the shed. There must always be one American, uh, but we're going to split Matt's duties. So Nick is going to monitor the chat room. Hello to the chat. You can join us live around 8 p.m. on a Sunday, especially after a race, by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. You can look at our faces and you can chat along at the same time. We have a good time. Come and join us. Uh, But the where the race was won and lost duties fall to you, Chris Stevens. So tell me. 
Where was the race won and lost? It's an interesting one, isn't it, really? Because I think in normal circumstances, Lewis would have, uh, you know, gone off into the distance and uh, had a, a very comfortable race. But crucially, Mercedes put him on the wrong tire. And I'm I'm staggered that this has happened because if you look at practice uh, and all the preparation that those top three teams had, Mercedes had the best go at it. Verstappen lost most of FP2 to to, uh, to an issue where they had some debris in his radiator and uh, it overheated the car. And I think that resulted in a water leak or maybe that was a different issue, but certainly lost a lot of running. Vettel threw it into the barriers early on in FP3 as well. And they had other issues on uh, Thursday as well. So if you look at the preparation those top three teams had, Mercedes had the best of it. And yet they made the wrong call in that split second moment. So it it obviously looks like the very much the wrong decision while we're watching it unfold. But if you think of kind of the conventional wisdom from the armchair analysts, we always say that the the hard tires are always too much harder than the other tires, that the delta is too big, that basically, you know, it's always a one stop with the soft and the medium. So it's not really shocking um, when when that tire doesn't really get employed very much. And then also Monaco has a reputation of tires lasting forever, much longer than the Pirelli recommendation, So, which they ultimately did. So given that kind of like layman's conventional knowledge, it seems like a reasonable choice. Well, I think last year we were saying that, and then actually the tire degradation was a lot higher uh, than the teams expected. Um, and I think what we've seen here is Mercedes thought that the medium tire would comfortably go the distance and then about halfway through the stint they thought oh actually uh they're not quite going to do it and i think the irony of valtteri bottas being caught up in max verstappen's pit lane incident ironically put him on the correct tire because they had to stop him again but for lewis you know he was having to go the rest of the distance on on crumbling tires so so was it that valtteri got put on the mediums and they, obviously, they saw a drop in tire pressure. They brought him back in, and then they put him on the hearts is what happens. Yeah, so the, the second point for me and where the race was won and lost was Max's unsafe release. Because let's be honest, other than Valtteri Bottas, Max Verstappen was the only other contender to stop uh, Lewis Hamilton um, this weekend and uh, overperforming in what I would call the third best car. Um, actually at the moment there is a debate for that but that did take Bottas out of the running not only because he had to stop again but also because he had floor damage from the contact they were you know rubbing against each other ah, in the right. pit, which I thought was uh, quite quite foolish of Max to be honest and I'm surprised there wasn't a harsher penalty for the incident as a whole not just the unsafe release but the contact in the pit lane yes right we've set the scene well for what happened around the pit stops. But the reason we got there was because Ferrari very, uh, very generously put a really fast driver in a really fast car at the back of the grid, which did make it interesting. And I'll be honest, I was braced for a boring Monaco GP. And I was braced for saying, don't be too negative, Spanners, don't complain. Find the positives that everyone uh, talks about on the Monaco track. And actually, the onboards with Leclerc going through the field made it, a good experience on TV. So watching him fighting through the field and making some spectacular moves was genuinely entertaining. That's that's fine. I, I don't mind if they're going to be line of stern at the front. 
if you've got some action like that going on. And that move on Norris, Chris, it just shows what you can do with a, a big delta, because it is a big delta between a Ferrari and um, a McLaren, but you'd still have to have the guts to execute that. And you saw how deep he had to go into the hairpin to make that move work. Absolutely. I think even a five-second delta between two cars is still a really, really tough overtake to make in Monaco. And at full chat, you know, there isn't five seconds between the midfield and the, the front of the field or even the entire field. So for Leclerc to be making those bold moves, I think he was maybe helped a little bit by the fact that you know if he did you know, send one up the inside, it would have been quite foolish of the midfielders to fight it because they know he's got a much, much quicker car than him. Um, it was unfortunate, you know, the incident that he did end up having where he snagged the barrier and ricocheted into a, another car. Well, it's a shame because he pulled a good move on Grosjean the lap before, I think. And then you think, oh, no, he's done it again. He he put it in the wall at Baku. He's, he's, he's not managed to get out of Q1 here, even though it wasn't his fault. And look, and, he, and he's gone and smashed into Hulkenberg again. But actually, there was no contact. And that kind of made it funnier. Well, the, the thing is, what was he supposed to do? No, he, he had to go for had, it. He had to make those kind of moves. Otherwise, he was just going to... F- cross the line in 15th place well he, he actually foreshadowed it quite well because after his disappointing elimination after the first qualifying round he was he was interviewed and you know they asked the classic question that they always ask what can we expect for tomorrow and he's like well i guess i'll guess i'll have to try some crazy stuff and maybe i'll crash i don't know and it was like whoa okay i guess you just just admit that i guess there's no real denying that if you are gonna try to really work your way up the field in monaco you that are gonna risk. have to take some risks for me, Leclerc does not lose any credit in, in this race. The only thing I think he did wrong was trying to get back to the pits way too quickly and destroying his floor uh, with delamination on the on the tyre. And we see it way too often when, when punctures occur. No, no, Chris, that was, the only, that was the only thing that saved the race, though. I think he's, he saw his challenge was over and he was like, do you know what? I'm going to take one for the team. Let's get a safety car out here. Let's shred this floor and tyres. He's a hero. No, but uh, you're right, Chris. I don't think anything against Leclerc for that effort. In fact, Nick, if anything, it's yet another example on his CV that he can go to the Ferrari management in the summer and go, look, come on, I am kind of good. He he is kind of good, but the the tyre destroying the floor, that was really interesting. I don't think that everybody probably realises exactly the connection there. So I saw a very good slow motion image of it so that when the tire is, is whipping around and around and it's completely unraveling, it's actually hitting the floor and like smacking holes into it, which was why, because he hit the rear right on the, on the barrier, why the right side of the floor was so completely demolished by the tire. And then, of course, there was damage on the left-hand side from the contact with Hulkenberg when he sort of ricocheted into him. So he had both sides knocked. Oh, did he hit Hulkenberg after he hit the barrier? Did he? Yeah, it was a oh. knock-on effect of him hitting the barrier. It's um, it's interesting. I've got an HGV license, so I've driven, you know, the big articulated lorries as well as the seven tonners. And you always have to watch out for the rear in case your axle doesn't quite follow you exactly the same as the cab. And, you know, so you have to take a slightly wider line. We shouldn't have to do this with F1 cars. Is this not a sign they're a bit too long that they're snagging the back and the rear steer is hitting the barrier, Nick? I, yeah, that's the point that I was going to make. And it looks like you set it up perfect, perfectly for me. I mean, they made the cars wider this year and they didn't make the track 
any wider. So it was only ever going to make the impossibility of overtaking even greater. Um, so I kind of feel like we got to stop coming to Monaco or we got to make the cars smaller or both. Uh, no, for me, this is not a new thing. You know, we've seen it more more times than I can count. You know, people at that corner in particular, it's just the nature of the corner and the way the barrier comes out there as well. So it's not a, a new thing for me ever since they made the cars wider in 2017 uh, for, for me anyway. Right. So we have uh, a spec set of cars for Monaco, but you are ballasted for every championship point that you are behind the leaders. So you all have the same F3 car for Monaco. However, if you're the championship leader, you carry no weight, Chris. And if you're Williams, you essentially have to carry another car and a trailer to replicate the championship deficit. There we go. Then we can have good racing around Monaco. I, no, I don't think that's a good... F- Surely you want it to be the opposite. <laughs> well, I do, but I don't like... Okay, well, in that case, we could have success ballast is what you're describing. That's the opposite. Uh, but, but clearly, we just have to reduce our expectations for Monaco and just say, well, do you know what? It is what it is. And there was some interesting stuff here. Maybe they could bring some things in that would force you to have to pit more. So some Monaco tyres. is that Because Monaco is such an extreme example of how f1 cars are not suitable for older tracks why can't we go to pirelli and say all right let's just really have tires that just fall apart here so we can at least simulate something like strategy because here it's don't pit the strategy is whatever's wrong never pit i wish they would for every race Uh, i want to see a return for the days where it was minimum of a two-stop because it just opened up the strategy more. I mean, we all think back to those great races that we saw in 2011, 12, and 13, where the racing was at its zenith for me. And um, we've gone backwards ever since. Good. And that said, I enjoyed the race today and that safety car did make things interesting. Why don't we play a game of you are the manager? So in my head, when that safety car came out, my thoughts went straight to your favourite driver, Nick, Sebastian Vettel. And I thought, if I was the Ferrari manager here, I'm not going to pit Vettel. I'm going to leave him out so he's got track position. Because two things could have happened to have then given him the win. Because I figured he could park it. We've seen cars park it here uh, in the past that are much slower. So Ricciardo last year, the Mercedes in 2013, when they qualified on pole but had no race pace, um, they managed to park it around there and get a 1-2, if I remember rightly, or at least a 1-3. And if you're Vettel then, yes, you've got less good tyres and you've got faster cars behind you. But if it rains, you then have an advantage. If uh, if the tyres are wearing so badly that everyone needs to do two stops, you're ahead there. So you are the manager. Would you have pitted Vettel? I might have done, to be honest, in not even for the reasons that you said that make sense, but just because if you do the same as Hamilton with track position being so important, then you can't possibly win. So the only way that you could possibly win is if you stayed out and then it starts pouring rain or there's a safety car or something, but just following them into the pits and coming out behind him, that's that kind of solidifies that. That's key. That's key. I didn't think of putting it like that. Yeah, just basically do the opposite to Hamilton. Because at worst, he was going to end up fifth. And and today, he should really have finished fourth. So he was gambling for the chance for a win, and then the risk would be lose one place. The, the yeah, thing is, sounds- 
it, it oh, just, that sounds like a good gamble to me. It just makes too much sense to stop under the safety car. It's a free pit stop. And what would have ended up happening? Maybe Ferrari saw a, a different radar and knew that the rain wasn't going to come or it wasn't going to be enough uh, perhaps, yeah. to, to, to cause them to go on to intermediates what would have happened is they, they would have gained track position. Sure. But then when they eventually had to come in for their stop, you know, they would have been 20 seconds behind the leaders at that point. Okay. So here's what I'm saying to you in that scenario. It's a one, it turns out it's a one stop dry race, which it sort of turned out to be in that scenario. He would have had to have come in for his pit stop and he would have come out either in front of Gasly or just behind Gasly, but on much, much fresher tires. So he really wasn't gambling anything at all by doing the opposite to Hamilton. And I still think it was a good gamble because it was a coin flip uh, as to whether it was going to rain or not. In fact, the weather forecast was 90% chance of rain. Well, that was at the beginning of the this session and that's only from, from one radar, you know, that's from the FIA, what the FIA is saying, not what the individual teams are saying. But this is pure speculation here, but maybe Ferrari felt the need to err on the side of caution after their errors on, Saturday, there is a potential explanation for why they didn't roll the dice. See, I feel like these are two completely independent events. And I feel like even if you were a Ferrari fan that was furious at the gamble to, I guess, save tires for Leclerc, then gambling for a race win, it's completely different stakes. There's so much more to be gained by it going right that you could you could still see, okay, I can see why they took a shot at it because, I mean, there's already been five one twos. It's not looking good for the, the majority of the season. I mean, it really could be, sadly, you know, one of their only, if not the only chance to stand on the top step. I say roll the dice, go for it. I feel like he could have he could have gotten that track position. He could have gone at a much faster race and he would have opened up, you know, more of a pit window, I guess, for, you know, coming out not not in traffic, you know, behind Gasly at worst. Uh, no, I think to make that work, you had to have had the raw speed as well. Even if they were at the front of the field, they would not have had the raw speed to to pull away and, and make that work. They simply do not have the speed. The Mercedes is too good in the low-speed corners. We know that's where the Ferrari is its absolute weakest compared to Mercedes and, and Red Bull. There was just no hope of them coming away with this, I think. Counterpoint, Lewis Hamilton was lapping about three-tenths faster only than the Huss. So had 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 Vettel been in front, he may well have just been able to kick off and even make a pit window. But then that's hindsight, isn't it? Because we knew what tyres Hamilton was going to go for at the time. They didn't know what tyres were going to be. You have to assume you're going for the same strategy at that point. Nick? Oh, just uh, Edgehammer in the chat room points out the um, travesty that was Kevin Magnuson's race because he came into the pits and he got stuck behind the, it was the Kimi Raikkonen train, wasn't it? And he has to have had the most uh, disappointing result of the weekend. I mean, forget Leclerc and getting screwed on a team call. I mean, I guess saying that K-Mag got screwed is a little bit harsh, but he definitely came out uh, on the wrong end of a decision to pit because look at where Grosjean ended up. Um, should have finished ninth, finished 10th, but K-Mag was the one who had the better of his teammate all weekend long. I think you can absolutely say he got screwed. He started fifth in that race. He should have been way, way up there. I mean, you're looking at locking out the top six with the top three teams. Leclerc was out, so sixth place is the best the midfielders can do. He should have been sixth. 
in that race because Huss, weirdly enough, were, were very competitive in this race. So uh, Kimi kind of showed what would have might have happened to Vettel. He was taking the route that I was just suggesting Vettel should have taken. Now, had had it come down with rain or had everyone needed to stop again, Raikkonen would have been in a position way above where he should have been. And to him, there was no incentive whatsoever to to pit because it doesn't matter how worn his tyres got, that train wasn't getting past him. So that, you know, that kind of sort of shows that Vettel could have done the same. Obviously, we now know that it wasn't going to rain and they didn't need a second stop. See, this was what was going on at the front of the field as well. You know, Lewis was there complaining about how he was on the wrong tyre and he was never going to make it. He was going to get swallowed up by the pack. And, you know, in, in our WhatsApp group, there was some some nervous faces, you know, some twitching of feet, Christian Horner style, about whether Hamilton was going to get passed by Max Verstappen. But was there really any way that Max was going to get by with, uh, you know, a, a clean move? Because the Mercedes was really good out of Portier. It still had the good rear traction. It was the turning where he was suffering. It had the power down the straights to hold off Max Verstappen. He would have needed a, a massive lunge to do it. And that's what we were seeing across the whole field. You know, even the guy who was on 50 lap old tires couldn't be overtaken. I, I actually definitely had hope that Max could put a move on Lewis. Um, and he kept trying to go around, trying to do a switch back at the low hairpin. But what I was thinking and what seemed like he was trying more and more at the end until the ultimate lunge was to try to make a move at the Nouvelle Chicane. So Lewis's front tires are both destroyed. You need your front tires more than your rear tires to break. I believe it's slightly downhill too, which would also exacerbate the, the front breaking bias into there. So I thought, you know, if Lewis doesn't matter how great of an, well, I guess it does in the end, you know, even if he gets a, a great exit going through the tunnel, when he comes to go downhill breaking, on Ruin's front tires, I thought Max really could have had a chance uh, to make the overtake. And and that was the thing, that was the glue, the tension that held this whole race together. It didn't turn out to, you know, be a position swap, but this this race really uh, did have my attention and was, as Spanner said, you know, better than the usual Monaco Grand Prix. The thing, the, the distance you gain from the concertina effect you know, is, is greater on the exit of a corner than it is, you know, bunching them up in the braking zones, really. You know, the, the distance he was gaining on the exit of Portier with the superior traction. And I think, you know, we, we've talked about how it was his front tyres going. He was struggling to turn in the car. We know that the turn-in, especially in slow-speed corners on that Mercedes, is one of its absolute strongest points. And so, in a way, that's kind of balanced it out, and it's not as bad as it maybe would have been on the Ferrari for example, had this same issue occurred over there. And uh, we know, you know, they've got this nice re- cool trick suspension thing going on that helps them with that. But uh, for me, that that was another key point, you know, that it was it was not as bad as it maybe could have been on other cars and the traction he had out of key corners leading into overtaking opportunities. Lucas in the chat room says, why didn't Vettel attack at any point? We're going to look at Vettel's race. We're going to look at the Max Verstappen challenging for the win against Lewis Hamilton. We're going to look at the the greatest competition of this race, in my opinion, which was Lewis versus Bono. And we'll look at Formula B as well. Do you ever listen to Missed Apex podcast and think, wouldn't it be cool 
to hang out with those guys. I mean, listening to the show and watching uh, and the video and hanging out in the live stream, that's all fine and well, but there's no beer involved. I can't buy them a pint or be bought a pint by them. Well, lucky you. We are all going down to Buckmore Park again on September the 21st, where we're going to do some action-packed karting. Chris, we had a fantastic time down at Rye House, didn't we, um, at the end of last month. We're going to do it all over again in September, except this time with added much more beer. Yeah, I, I can't wait for it. The last two karting events we've done have been such a, an absolute success. And the first one you know, that we did with the live show as well was uh, at Batmore Park. And it convinced us to do more ones you know, like that. There was a really high standard in the A-Final, which is great because in the heats, you're, you're in a good mix of really good and uh, ordinary carters and some people who could barely keep it pointing forward. However, when it got to the finals you found yourself in a, a nice tight competitive final. I was in the B final, you were in the C final, which is the worst of the three finals, Chris. Must do better. Uh, but it was great, great fun. Uh, so we're going to do it again at Buckmore Park on September the 21st. You can join us. Uh, each entry is £79, of which we'll be carting all afternoon. You'll get three heats and then a final uh, and then a bit of a social afterwards. There's food available. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Now, we've normally done a live show beforehand. I don't think we're going to do that. We might have, we might record something, but not a live show. But what we're going to do is we're going to hang around the next day as well. And we're going to watch the Singapore Grand Prix at a conference room at Buckmore Park. And you can join us. And then we will record a live in-person race review, which we've never done before, Chris. Yeah, that'll be uh, an interesting one. Uh, we've got to we've got to try and reinvent it somehow. Keep it fresh. Yeah, and- it definitely wasn't because I misread the calendars and organised it for the Singapore Grand Prix weekend. To, to be fair, it is so difficult to try and find a date for these because we've got to do it around the F1 calendar. We've got to do it around Bradley's racing calendar, and we used to have to do it around my Formula E calendar as well. So you know, props to you, dude. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Vettel, Nick, was lucky to finish second. I put that to you. His natural position was fourth place here. Did benefit a little bit, as in massively, from from the front two uh, in front of him clashing in the pit lane. But was there any hope for him pushing any further forward? Well, that is very generous of you to say that his natural position was in P4 because you're forgetting that his teammate, you know, was on the wrong end of a strategy call in qualifying and probably uh, arguably could also have been in P4. So maybe it was, maybe it was P5. Um, Yeah, I think I agree with you. That was probably the best that he could hope for, for the race. Um, You know, Verstappen, he wasn't going to get him. He was kind of following him at times. Something came over the radio that he was overheating. He needed to lift and coast a little bit, probably to cool the brakes from following too closely. And obviously, uh, I think it goes without saying that he was, you know, never going to make a move on Bottas, uh, if not for the unsafe release and the pit lane collision and the extra pit stop and all that. So I was um, invited onto a sports radio station in the week. Just the kind of thing I do now. I know you also speak to that station, Chris. Um, but I was asked, what does Leclerc have to do to make himself the number one driver? And I think it's not going to happen this season. I think this season we are consigned to to Vettel being the number one driver at Ferrari. Probably makes a lot of sense unless Leclerc had been absolutely flawless. Vettel is still a four-time world champion and Ferrari favourite. However, Vettel's kind of been rescued a little bit by the Q1 incident because he could have found himself, as Nick says, fifth out of the top sixth with only Gasly uh, behind him. It hasn't just been saved by you know a lack of pace, should we call it, maybe comparative to Leclerc. I know they've been toing and froing in that battle all season long, but he had a really scruffy Saturday. Like one of the scruffiest I've seen of of a driver. You know, that you'd expect so much more from for a four-time world champion hitting the barriers three times in one day, you know, in, in FP3 when he threw it in the wall at Sandoval twice in qualifying as well. He got away with those two, but it, it potentially cost him a position on the grid and you can't afford that in Monaco. So there is definitely more to be said about Vettel's struggles as well as Ferrari's. So, so Nick, damage limitation from here on in because we've got we've got Canada, we've got Hungary, Hockenheim coming up. Uh, he, if he keeps it on the road at Hockenheim, he's got a chance. But he is actually fighting for his career right now because he needs to keep that number one status. If Ferrari happened to turn up with a championship contending car either next year or with the new regulations in twenty twenty one. So did you just gaslight my PTSD for him running off the road at Hockenheim last year? Was that intentional or was did you just... I think it's so part of my core being to do that to you now that I couldn't tell you if it was intentional or not. Fair enough. The next race at Canada should be really interesting because they're going to put the, the, the Spec 2 engine back in from this year, the one that we saw in Spain, that seemed to work really, really well and... Uh, Canada is obviously more of a power circuit. Uh, and I think Mercedes are still going to be on engine number one 
So that might give them more of an opportunity to properly duke it out at the front, more Bahrain-esque, where we saw Leclerc very much having the upper hand. And now Hell You Know is gunning for you in the chat room. And he's saying, I do believe Vettel came second, uh, but it does feel like the commentary team at Sky was sticking the knife in a little bit, kind of going, well, this is a good result. And and even Vettel on the podium was saying, well, this is a good result. It shouldn't be. It should still be just a less bad fail. But did you did you get positives out of that, Nick? I don't know that I get positives out of it because it seems a bit harsh to say this, but it, it's true. It wasn't a P2 on merit. It was a P2 off of he inherited it. So he inherited P2 from Verstappen. So, and he... You know, it was clearly luck uh, that Bottas had his collision and Vettel didn't. So it doesn't really feel like, oh, Ferrari and Vettel had the second fastest car today. So maybe they will uh, on the following race weekend as well. It just doesn't seem like there's anything, any momentum that you could really take out of it and hope for in the future. I've, I've got to agree. There is no way you can say that Vettel finished second being representative of Ferrari's pace at the moment, they're, they're locked into being you know, fourth and fifth on average across the rest of the season because Max is performing really, really well in that Red Bull. I think he's overdoing what the Red Bull can do. For me, that is the third best car there or thereabouts, but Max is still locking in those, those P3s and those P4s ahead of Ferrari. And there mm-hmm. is no way Ferrari were going to finish second in this race on pace. He gained two places because of collisions and a penalty from the same incident. Okay, well, let's move forward up the field just a little bit. While we're talking about Max, this season, Max has been quietly spectacular. So he's just been quietly brilliant. And I think even in this race, he took the confines of Monaco and said, well, I'm just going to go for it. Even though he was up running in a podium position, Red Bull were aggressive. They went for it at the pit stops. Even that ill-advised... uh, lunge into uh, Nouveau Chicane. Nick, you, you have to say, really impressive today, despite the penalty. So it's it's very analogous to what you were suggesting that Sebastian Vettel do. Take a risk. The only way that you're going to win the race is don't pit, stay out for track position, and hope that rain or safety car or something happens. And Ferrari declined to do that. If you want to win, the aggressive strategy, um, it didn't hurt him it didn't end up hurting Max's at all. He lost nothing. I mean, he, he could have done, um, but it not only made the race entertaining, but they, it was also appreciated that they went for their only shot. See, there was the debate, wasn't there? Like, should they, they pit Max and, and just go for it on a new set of tires? And probably would have got the fastest lap point as well, that one extra point. He wouldn't have lost anything. If anything, he might have actually gained a little bit extra you know, with the fastest lap. But there was a chance at a race win. There was a slim, slim chance of a race win if he could just launch it past Lewis Hamilton and build up a gap, use whatever he had left in that tyre to get ahead of that ailing Mercedes car. It would have been a spectacular win. And I, I respect them for sticking with it to the bitter end. So I'm not going to go to baseball, but I'm going to go to an even more confusing American sport that is football. And I'm going to quote some head coach whose name I can't remember, but he, he famously said to a reporter, hello. You play to win the game. 
And that's, and that's what Red Bull did. You, you play, you play to win the game. I mean, it's, it's the casino capital of the world. Let's roll the dice. Let's go. Let's try to, let's try to win. I appreciate it. Well, while we're talking incidents, uh, let's play our favorite game. Whose fault is it? So there were a few incidents and, and collisions in this race. Uh, let's, um, let's start with, uh, the one we're on, which is Max Verstappen versus Hamilton. I think we should also have a game, Nick, called The Darkest Timeline, inspired by my favourite comedy, Community. Uh, in in The Darkest Timeline, in this scenario, he didn't get away with a wheel-to-wheel contact, Nick. The front wing speared into Lewis Hamilton. Max Verstappen lost the front wing. Lewis Hamilton had a puncher. How do we see that incident now? Are we talking about the plucky, aggressive Max Verstappen? Or are we talking about the reckless dive-bombing cannonball Verstappen? So I'm not familiar with the show that you're taking the idea from. No. Oh, you've got a treat ahead of you then. You need to watch all of them immediately. But okay, we'll we'll pause that. What, what is it called? Community. Community. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. So in Community, is there a debate about whether the darkest timeline is actually the darkest timeline? Because for me, if they take each other out and Sebastian Velo rolls around and takes the checkered flag, that's really the... The brightest timeline. <laughs> uh, it is. But how would you see Verstappen had that incident come out differently? Because uh, from a, a locked up, uh, t- it was an aggressive move. Let, let's call it what it was. It was a dive bomb. He had locked up. He wasn't quite in control as he got there. Punched Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton takes a, is, is it taking a knee? Not quite taking a knee, but he certainly, uh, you know, if a boxer gets hit near the groin, you go, oh, well, that was a low blow, so I can shake it off. He certainly took that hit as a free license to run across the the chicane, which is probably fair and and kind of neutralize the threat. But had there been more damage, what would we be saying about Verstappen and that move? So if, yeah, if Verstappen, for example, had locked up both fronts and completely T-boned Hamilton and destroyed the car and crashed themselves both out, then I think we would be doing the same narrative that we always fall into that, oh, Max is immature and he's got to learn to wait for a move and and all that kind of stuff. And we'd be getting all sorts of angry hate mail, uh, you know, people from Belgium, the Netherlands, and presumably other countries as as well. Um, yeah, I think we would have looked upon that uh, very, very harshly indeed. Chris, uh, was there any argument to to what Max said, which was that Lewis turned in on him, or is that kind of a, yeah, that wasn't, that was stretching it a bit, wasn't it? No, it was ridiculous. It's like when Grosjean complained about Leclerc bumping him at, at Rascats. It was the tiniest little knock, stop whinging. Uh, there was no way that Lewis Hamilton turned he, Max hadn't gained the right for that corner. Uh, and he arrived at the scene totally locked up and, let's say it, out of control of his vehicle. At that point, Lewis had every right to turn into that corner. And had there been a bigger incident, it was 100% Max's fault. Now, that move, I don't think, was as implausible as some people are making out. I think that could have worked. Nick, if he pulls that move down the inside of Bottas, Bottas kind of goes, oh, discretion, better part of valor, seconds better than crashing out. Yeah, so that was the move that I was waiting for for... 30 laps. That was the move that we saw him make on all the back markers last year when he worked his way up from, what was it, like 19th to 9th or, or something like that. There is a move there. That is that is a place that you can overtake. There has to be a huge delta 
obviously, but it is not, um, it is not totally implausible. He did not just like pick some random corner uh, out of a bag. I mean, there it's possible. I think some drivers would have jumped out of the way of that, and that would have been a race win. I, I'm not going to begrudge the move at all. I'm just going to say that I think Verstappen was a lucky boy that that didn't turn out worse, and Hamilton was a lucky boy it didn't turn out worse. What I guess what I find interesting is when he finally did go for the lunge with you know a lap and a half to go, or maybe two and a half laps to go, there wasn't really any hope of pulling out a five-second gap at that point. So he was patient, 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 which maybe he has not been in the past and it shows a good character development, but it seems like the time to make the lunge and go for it was 15 laps ago when he could have still theoretically uh, driven off into the distance thereafter. It's the perfect way of highlighting just how strong Max Verstappen has come on as a racing driver you know I mean one year ago he was chucking it into barriers left right and center at that very track that cost him a a chance at the win you know we know Ricardo went on to win that race and it could have been Verstappen if he'd have been starting from the front like he should have done and we've seen such a maturing of him uh, over the last uh, 12 months and we're really seeing a Verstappen 2.0 as much as we're maybe seeing Bottas 2.0 you know he's really coming on and I'm enjoying uh new Max Verstappen very much now to be clear I just want to be absolutely clear that was a wild aggressive borderline uh, dumb risk and reward move okay so I'm, I'm not I'm not arguing the people who are saying that was a dumb move because it was super aggressive all I'm saying is it definitely could have worked and he was going for the win and it might have worked on another driver on another day. And he doesn't know. Lewis Hamilton could be thinking what I was thinking, which was, it doesn't matter if you lose to Verstappen. It only matters if you lose to Vettel. Uh, sorry, if you lose to Vettel oh, and Bottas. Really, it's Bottas. So it doesn't matter at all if he loses points to Max Verstappen. And he wouldn't have done anyway because Max had a penalty. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so I don't think Max was mad. That's all. I don't think it was crazy. There was some logic to going for it. Uh, we had a few other whose fault is this is his. We had the car park instigating move from Giovinazzi. I think clearly Giovinazzi's fault, Chris, going into George Russell. But it's just, it's never good just to see five cars parked on a corner. Nick? It was actually Kubica. Oh, was it he hit Kubica, did he? That's just mean, right? Send your hate mail to Giovinazzi and, and not us. Um, it's, Chris, it's, it's funny just seeing five cars parked, unable to move. You go, oh, okay. We, we saw a very similar thing in the F2 feature race. I can't remember uh, who it was, but there was uh, an incident. Oh, it was Mick Schumacher actually uh, getting up alongside uh, another car. And, you know, once you spin that guy around, there's, there's no nowhere for anyone else to go. So you do just kind of have to park up. And it's um, one of the, the rare things you see of a, such a tight street course. I, I don't remember which Austin Powers movie it was. And it doesn't really matter. But there was the scene where he's in the it's not a go-kart, but he, he's in the like, you know, work vehicle and he's in the hallway and he's sideways and he's like reverse back, reverse back, reverse back and trying to trying to get out. I thought that's what Kavitsa was going to have to do. It was like, OK. He's completely sideways. There's nowhere to go. Is this is this red? Is this going to get red flagged? I mean, it it didn't look like it was a solvable puzzle for a second there. I mean, they actually untangled themselves uh, pretty quickly. It was kind of impressive how they they got that sorted out after that. We've all eventually got bored in an F1 game and tried to make the whole pack stop. 
that is that's what that looked like. All right. Uh, any other whose fault is this? Is oh yes, of course, the pit lane incident itself. I think it's nailed on the. The, the, it was an unsafe release. I, I admire them going for it. it was a, but it was an unsafe release, and he went out and he kept rubbing up against Bottas and causing a lot of damage. But Chris, was that getting away with it to only get a five second penalty? Someone tweeted me and said, "Whoever was in charge of negotiating that penalty needs to take charge of Brexit because they're clearly the best negotiator in the world." I mean, there's some good going to justify that and get away with just a five second penalty. Yeah, I think the reason we saw that, and we, we saw quite a few incidents involved around the pit lane being taken more leniently uh, because of the nature of the pit lane, because it's so tightly compact, because there's a severe lack of visibility compared to most other racetracks, like the, the Weybridge incidents, uh, not only with the Claire, but with other drivers as well, went unpunished compared to what we saw with Gasly in Baku, where he was immediately thrown out of qualifying. Um, and in uh, in this instance, I think you know the the Red Bull guys really wouldn't have been able to see what's coming down the pit lane, uh, or at least as well as they would have seen at a normal race circuit, and that's why we saw a more lenient penalty compared to other races. So I think there was a key difference in the Gasly Weybridge gate and the and the Leclerc incident in that I assume that Gasly's car was worked on after that, so it is no longer able to be weighed. If you take the tires off, put new tires on, do anything to the car. That's so, that, that's a fair point as well. But there were other guys who uh, had a had similarly missed the Weybridge as well. Sure, well. but I I feel like there's an inconsistency here with penalties, and it feels like there's always been an inconsistency with penalties. Um, and it seems like you know maybe this time last year we were finally kind of starting to get a consistency with penalties in regards to safety speeding under you know double yellow speeding under red flag speeding in the pit lane it seems like there's been some that were very harsh i remember daniel ricciardo i don't remember which track but it was you know milliseconds uh you know under or yeah milliseconds under the minimum time under red flag and like through the book at him and now we're being lenient what's if if it's safety first and it's black and white and we have live timing then it needs to be that way i don't it's got to be consistent and safety has to be the most important thing as well. All right, then let's uh, wrap this up. I want to talk about Lewis Hamilton's uh, radio messages, of course, a major talking point of the weekend. Uh, but first of all, congratulations to McLaren for winning what we call Formula B and some great team tactics, Chris. I love this. I love that they said, let's use one driver, let's understand the nature of Monaco, and let's use Norris to hold up the pack and get signs up there. Another fantastic result for McLaren. They are racking up the wins. I know Joe Saywood was less optimistic, saying, well, one bad result puts them ninth again, but they're not getting those bad results at the moment. At the moment, they're winning Formula B. No, it was a really good race. I was pleasantly surprised by McLaren's pace, actually. I wasn't expecting them to do so well around Monaco, but the strategy they pulled off uh, really, really well. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier about with the Raikkonen train, the Grosjean train as well that we saw. They got quite lucky uh, with that as well, not to be caught up in that, to, to jump Carlos Sainz up the order from, uh, I think it was 12th or maybe 11th, outside of the top 10 anyway, and and up to you know the class b lead as it were especially when we were looking at toro Rosso to be 
the best of the race because they were running so well in in practice and were really strong in qualifying maybe actually underperformed a little bit in qualifying compared to what we were expecting and for Haas to come away with only one point as well after the pace they were showing uh again Magnussen was the one being caught up behind the Raikkonen train that just cost him so much and Grosjean got away with you know one point but should have been a lot more from from Haas really all right, we have to talk about the radio communications because I wanted to give my driver of the day award, Chris, uh, to Bono. <laughs> he did He did either a masterful stroke of talking down Lewis Hamilton or he was complicit in the strategy uh, of letting the rest of the field think that his tyres were about to explode at any minute. Personally, had I not been chatting to you guys in the Slack group during the race, I would have thought, that he would be fine because we've seen cars park the bus on apexes around here with massive problems and still win. I didn't think it was a threat. So what was going on? Did Lewis Hamilton really think he was about to lose all cohesion in his tyres? I think there's an argument for it. I think he was in worst case scenario mode, you know, where I think on another racetrack, yeah, he would have lost out probably, but it's Monaco. I was confused why... There wasn't just a simple explanation of, look, look, you can't overtake around it. All you got to do is put it in the middle of the track and you'll be absolutely fine. There is no way they're going to be able to, to get by you. You've got good traction. Remember your uh, use it strategically and you'll be absolutely fine. Maybe you don't just absolutely talk to your driver in such a, uh, a Raikkonen-esque tone. But uh, the, I think there maybe needed to be uh, a firmer hand there to stop him coming on the radio every five minutes saying, we've, we've, we've made the wrong decision. We're absolutely destroyed. We're in worst case scenario. I, I find it hard to believe that Lewis is not aware of his ability to defend an Olympic car home. I have to imagine if he was complaining as much as he was, that he must have thought that they were going to potentially literally explode. Yeah. Um, which I is what I was hoping for in, in Spanners' <laughs> version of the darkest timeline, which was my version of the best timeline. <laughs> I, I can't think of many other scenarios that that Lewis must have been thinking of to have to have been on the radio like that all the time. And but but what was the alternative? You know, pitting and coming fifth. That said, Mercedes absolutely made the wrong decision to put him on that tire. I can understand why he was miffed and was saying, this is the wrong tire. But at that point, you've just got to deal with it. There's no point complaining about it at that point. That's for after the race and when you debrief. Focus on the job you've got in hand and, and just get on with it, basically. Yeah, I think I think Crofty nailed it in the commentary, or maybe it wasn't Crofty, but you just you just ask him, okay, hey, you want to come in this lap? We'll, we'll put softs on. You'll come out in six behind Gasly. And uh, then you can try to fight your way back to the front. Is this something that you want to do? Yes or no? He already knows the answer to that question, though, doesn't he? You know, it's happened before in 2015 when he lost the race win there. He knows the answer to that question. He knows he's not going to be able to get it back. So there is uh, absolutely <laughs> the, no way that, you know, they, they would have done that. Um, they had to just get on with, with what they'd done and live with the mistake that the team had made. Still, the optics aren't good. And I think Lewis Hamilton might look back at those radio messages and go, ah, kind of makes me look a bit whiny, Nick. But does that matter? Does it matter if he's leading the Monaco Grand Prix, the jewel in the crown of, uh, of Formula One, on his way to his sixth world championship? Does it matter if he gets a bit snipey with his race engineer? No, 
I guess not. Years ago on this podcast, I uh, gave Sebastian Vettel quite a pass for some angry radio messages. Um, I have a lot of sympathy, a lot of empathy for what they must be going through, the pressure they must be in in the cockpit. I don't begrudge Lewis's uh, radio messages in the least. I think he is fully right to have his finger on the radio button for an hour and a half and just have a stream of consciousness if he if he wants to. It's really the FOM deciding which messages uh, get played and which ones don't get played that really uh, change the narrative. We have a very limited understanding of who is saying what. There's a comment in the chat room um, that says this was not one of Lewis's hardest or, or best uh, wins of his career. And I have to say, I, in a way, I disagree with that. And I know you're, you're shaking your head, Spanners, as well, because we kind of pre-discussed this, didn't we? But for me, to have been on tyres that were crumbling away so badly and had such a severe lack of grip, especially at the front, to have performed a centimetre-perfect race for 65 laps... Uh, around Monaco of all places while under pressure from Max Verstappen. For me, that is rather commendable and is is right up there as a certainly a, a fantastic win and one of his best, in, in my opinion. All right, I'll counter. I just, I don't see that. Now, I fully respect the, the, uh, uh, what was, what was Scott's rank in Star Trek? The engineer. Commander Scott, you know, he'd go, he'd go, oh, that's going to take me 17 hours to do it. And then after eight hours, he'll be like, I can just about manage it. And you'll notice it in your office as well. The people who get promoted are the ones who make out that everything is a massive drama and that they just suddenly manage to do it somehow. And he even said it on the radio. You're asking for the impossible. You are asking for the impossible. But look, he did it. And then you can claim at the end that you made dreams happen this is what we're seeing nick hamilton loves the theatrics of it loves making a drama out of these things he's a dream maker and he is a massive personality in the sport so why not so google says that scotty was holding the rank of captain uh, yeah eventually oh, no. that was in the, the extended universe not yeah. in the original uh, original series Okay, Chief Engineer Scotty. Okay, so I think Lewis might be putting on a masterclass here of under-promise and over-deliver. I think you may be yeah. on to something. Or it could just be more uh, Ferrari, you know, playing up, sandbagging the whole the whole spectacle. You know, tune in to watch Mercedes win every other weekend because we almost didn't win this time. For real, though, guys. <laughs> I, I think the counter of, of that, is to to say that those tires weren't supposed to do 65 laps or anywhere near it and um yeah we saw even the guys on the hard tire were struggling a little bit uh, with the same issue so it, it would have been worse for lewis all right tell me chris what car today could we have put in front of max verstappen that wouldn't have won the monaco grand prix go oh the, the the Williams, right? But All that's right, not okay, my point. Great, an eight second delta. Who cares? Give, give me Perez. If Perez is at the front of that train, if Raikkonen is at the front of that train, they at least get a podium, right? But that's that's not the point I'm I'm making here. It's not the point about the speed he was going or his defensive driving. It was simply not making a single mistake in that. I think one lock up at the Nouvelle Chicane, and Verstappen would have had him. 
Yeah, you say he did it without making a mistake, but I think Spanners' argument is that eight or nine other drivers could have done the same thing today. So is it really that impressive if that's the case? I I think Danny Kvyat could have done it. To have to have done all that and not made a single mistake over the way, like even with the front tires absolutely crumbling away, and with every passing lap, it becomes so so much easier to just lock a brake and end up in the escape road. I, I think, hold, hold, hold fire on the on the complaints, all right? I'm not a hater. I'm a massive Lewis Hamilton fan. However, I, I just think I just think that saying no one else could have done it and it's a miracle win is overplaying it a little bit when we've seen Ricciardo with 160 brake horsepower down and we've seen the 2013 Mercedes who had no race pace throughout the whole season do it. I think we're overplaying the miracle status of this win. That's that, what like two completely different races that are not comparable to to this one you know it was for me a, a really solid brilliant drive absolutely brilliant agreed. drive i don't think yeah agreed. too many people i don't think too many people would have been able to do the same as as him regardless of what, what, what car or you know whoever it was you would have got somebody would have fluffed it up at some point i guarantee the the thing is there there is somebody else in the same car and his name is Valtteri Bottas or Bottas 2.0 or whatever you want to call him. I kind of heard that radio message as a little bit of a of a slap in the face to to Valtteri. Well, good thing it was this particular silver car that was in the front and not the other one because then we surely would have lost the race. Good thing it was you, Lewis, and not Ooh. the other guy who gets these radio messages. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, that's clumsy. Oh, Chris. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I can't speak for Valtteri, but I think Valtteri might have been a little bit more susceptible to it because I think no matter what you say, I don't think Valtteri is on uh, Lewis's level ultimately, especially in terms of his his absolute race craft and race speed. He's not on the same level. Did he not have the exact same victory at Russia? Has he not done the exact same thing? Has he not held on to the bitter end and fighting off Bottas? Against Vettel, it would have been in 17, maybe? That is nowhere near comparable. That is not even remotely comparable. Why not? Because it was the tired Delta was minuscule compared to what was there, and there was no degradation on that circuit to begin with. Oh, just like the tires lasted 20 laps longer than they were supposed to at this high deck circuit. Okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> Calm it down, boys. We've all had a drink. Uh, it was a good win. It was a win that will be remembered and will be talked about. The 2019 Monaco Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton wins with dying tyres and Mercedes win their sixth race in a row. Six wins out of six. time for some awards but before that you know i said to nick are you going to come on the podcast this week and he went well i will only come on if i can plug my ill thought out novel reading podcast so go on then nick or or shall i just do it seeing as i do a near perfect impression of you it gets better and better every time please please go ahead it's the what what if we read a book podcast it's called it's called the What's It About podcast, and it's just a book club with friends, including Miss Apex video editor, Steve Amy. And we, yeah, we read a book and we talk about it. And you can find us at whatsitaboutpodcast.com. That's a really good concept. So you consume some content and then you say what you think about it. It's interesting. Yeah. Someone should it's, 
Someone should do that with TV shows, Nick. Yeah. I mean, we do it now with uh, sports, but there's no uh, reason to say that it has to be sports. I believe there are other things that come on the television. So like a, a review, but of a TV show. Interesting. Food for thought. Chris Stevens, you're heavily involved in the Grand Prix weekends following the F2 guys. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, among uh, others in various different uh, categories across the whole world with my new job in in PR. Um, But I'm still doing a little bit of journalism on the side. So check it out uh, at Chris on Racing on Twitter, Chris Stevens Motorsport on Facebook. And the website is still in the works. I'll get around to doing that at some point. And he never did. (laughs) That's my narrator voice at the end. Who do you think should get the Thing of the Weekend Award? Nick Alexander. I appreciated the live band playing the national anthems. And I'm surprised that I don't think I've ever seen that before, or I very rarely see it. It seems like with all the budget, all the, all the spectacle, it seems like, why are we putting a CD player in and playing it on speakers when we could actually have, you know, musicians? Yeah. I I liked that a lot. Well, I mean, that's, you know, more American-y to have that, all that, razzmatazz and i'm a fan of that i really liked it at austin when they had the in the red corner spinning around and round sebastian vetto i loved all that at cota i think we should have that every race in in the red corner in the blue corner in the red corner in the blue corner (laughs) Uh, spinning around around and around chris stevens who was your thing of the weekend i think it's a slam dunk isn't it it's lewis hamilton and i think that's the first time i've given lewis hamilton a, a thing of the weekend award well, there you go. So I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to the Mercedes pit wall. I, I don't think it was a clever ruse from Lewis Hamilton. I think he was genuinely concerned about his tyres. He is a driver that likes the car to do what he wants it to do. So when he's feeling understeer, when he's feeling uncomfortable under braking, his instinct is to get off that tyre. And it's a lot easier to think through that strategy on the pit wall than it is in the car. And I think um, the, they did a great job. And obviously, it, it had to be escalated, didn't it? So it went through the whole HR chain. So his immediate line manager, Bono, said, you know, I think we should take this course of action. Uh, there was further discussions and it got elevated to the head of HR, which is um, uh, James Vowles. Is that the strategist, Chris? James Vowles, who came yeah. on and went, all right, look, you know, th- that was a very Ross Braun moment. That wasn't it. It was a look, Lewis, this is happening. Get your head down. Get on with it. So well done to them. It's not all positivity, though. We do have a bad thing award as well. No, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Nick Alexander? It's uh, it's got to be Leclerc. Um, I think he destroyed. Yeah, yeah, I think he destroyed his floor. Um, and we can argue about it all you want. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the podcast is having arguments and and bewildering each other. But could he not have gone a little bit faster in Q one so that he? didn't miss out by not going out in the last two minutes. I mean, he's in a Ferrari. It's Q1. He should be able to get through. Surely he did not drive the perfect lap and miss out completely on track evolution. No, because even the top guys, the very, very top guys had to go out and go again because the track evolution is such. And that is why my missed Apex award goes to Ferrari. The people who put him in that scenario in the first place. What a massive blunder. And just throw on top of that, that they are solidly third best at the moment. Yeah. And uh, instead of a missed Apex award, uh, we'll give an extra thing of the weekend award to the Red Cap 
tributes, of course, celebrating the life and contribution of Nicky Lauda. If you want to hear uh, us talking about it, I had a, a lovely conversation with Joe Sayward on Tuesday. So if you search for Inside F1 episode 30, Joe spoke very emotionally on a Monaco balcony about his relationship and dealings with Nicky Lauda. Thank you very much for joining us for this Monaco race review. You can catch up with Nick Alexander by searching for at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter. Chris is at Chris on Racing. And you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We try and make that worthwhile. We've got a nice forum and Slack community for our patrons. And Matt and I also do an extra patron podcast. But until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Ah, so I hear the music fading out. I look in the chat room. I see with some inevitability that I have allowed comment of the week to drift by again it really is one of my favorite segments i don't i don't know why i have that mental block but nick alexander who's the winner of this week's comment of the week i have four contenders not even not even eight this time that's is not that bad. an acceptable number i like it let's see if you can deliver it better than trumpets okay before the show started shuri nine says nick's here Leclerc spun, not Vettel. <laughs> Love it. That there, there are people in 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 our community who genuinely believe that Nick being invited on a podcast is a foreshadowing of Vettel slash Ferrari disaster. Yes, they do. Stuart Neal says Mercedes must have ended up with Ferrari's strategy papers, which Leclerc threw out of the garage over the wall into the next into the next door on Saturday, and Merck used them to choose the tires. Little little Spygate action. Lucas says, if you are no longer racing, you went for a gap that wasn't there. Seriously, guys, think long and hard before quoting the Senna quote. So many people came out with that today in an incident where I think Senna later admitted there wasn't a gap, but he went for it anyway. So anyway, is that the winner of comment of the week? No, the winner is the last one, as is tradition, and is also a bad pun, which is going to be my tradition as well. It was truly a Kimmy train. That was Michael Distelhoff. You know what's going to happen now is everyone knows that when Nick's doing comment of the week, all they're going to do is come in with terrible puns. Absolutely. And what, I don't, what's the problem? Is this the darkest timeline, best timeline thing again? You need to watch Community. Just watch Community. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.